The Lord has been so good to us, hasn't he? Have you ever given any thought to what your story might be if not for Christ? Even now as we gather here with families and praise the Lord freely and where would we be without the Lord Jesus Christ? Father, as we peer into your word now, I pray that you would open up our hearts to the fullness and richness of Jesus Christ and his salvation and what he does for us, what he has done for us and what he will do and can do. So I pray, O oh God, whatever place our hearts are found today, there is a good word for us. May we embrace it, receive it, welcome it, and allow your word to transform us, I pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. How pleasant it is, really, to set aside a day to honor those who've been deputized by the giver of life to be givers of life, to give us life. There's very little to compare, I think, in this world to the sacrifice our mothers have made for their children. And I hope that you are grateful. But I would like to expand um, our teaching today, expand the tribute to women in general and what Christ can do. Women in, in, women in this world have mostly been treated badly and mostly by men. We're in the past and it continues to today. And all the so-called protection laws that we have in our world have not made it a safe world for women. So if you wish to know how to treat women, you need to start with Jesus Christ. You need to study him. You need to study how he treated women. You need to study the unique way, and that's what I'd like to do today, to show you the unique way that Christ changed everything with regard to women. Radical changes. It begins with Jesus' ministry of forgiveness, forgiveness to women that ultimately becomes effective in a transformed life. And that transformed life in a woman, or in a man, but today we're looking at a woman, becomes a mission of the gospel. Women who are on mission. And I wanna to begin today with you, it begins with a sinful woman in Luke chapter seven. Would you turn there please? In Luke chapter 7, there's a woman who comes to a, a gathering of Pharisees and Jesus. And she anoints Jesus. You know the story. Most of you pours perfume on him and continues to kiss his feet, 
recognizing who he is. And Jesus declares a principle at that moment. And it is this. Those forgiven much love much. And you know, as I was thinking about that, that applies to every single one of us. Every single one of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ have been forgiven much. And as a result of that, we should be loving the Lord much. And right after that, in Luke chapter 8, right after this, this very statement that those forgiven much love much, in verse 47 of Luke 7, Luke records an introduction of, of ministry of the disciples of Jesus where Jesus gives them credibility for the future, but I want, to see, I want you to see what he adds here, what, what the Holy Spirit directs Luke to add. So we're in Luke chapter 8, verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled about from town, from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Let's stop there. This is the word of God. Now, I, I want you to note that Luke doesn't... He calls them the 12. He doesn't mention that the 12 disciples because... I think intentionally the Holy Spirit directed him to the idea that all of these people were disciples. The 12 and the women. And this first entourage of, of gospel messengers with Christ are men and women. This is important. This is crucial to us. Now many have, um, have surmised, and I think absolutely incorrectly, that the sinful woman that anointed Jesus' feet was Mary Magdalene. I, I think that's impossible. Because by this time, Mary Magdalene was not a sinful woman. She was a saved woman. She was in ministry with Jesus. Uh, that's not... That, that's, I don't believe that has any credibility at all. And it crept into the Catholic Church in about 500 AD. It just isn't, doesn't, isn't credible. But what I want you to know, and, and we're going to settle on Mary Magdalene this morning. I want to look at her life and how she demonstrates the transforming work of Jesus Christ. What Jesus can do, what Jesus will do in a life. And we here in the text notice that she's released from seven demons. And I would like to submit to you that second to the statement Jesus makes about those forgiven much, love much, I believe that what we learn here is that those released from much never let go of their liberator. Because we find in John 20 verse 17 that when Mary Magdalene meets the risen Christ, she grabs him and clings to him and he says stop clinging to me there's a reason for that we're not going to talk about that this morning but those who've been released from much and I'm talking about those forgiven much and those released from much 
love much, and never, ever let go of the one who has grabbed hold of our hearts. That's what dem- is demonstrated here. And I, I want to offer this this morning as, a, as a, a challenge for all women here. And men, of course, this is apl- applicable to you as well. But Jesus here shocks the rabbi rabble by immortalizing the value of women to his ministry. And I want you to hear this, women. I want you to hear this clearly. The value of women in ministry. And one woman seems to take center stage throughout all the Gospels. And her name is Mary Magdalene. Now, um, Mary uh, Magdalene is, we really don't know her last name because she's actually been identified by where she came from. Like Jesus of Nazareth, she's Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene, which is a little town, a little village, a fishing village on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, just a few kilometers north of the city of Tiberias. She's on the walking route from Nazareth to Capernaum. And who walked that route? Jesus. Jesus went from Nazareth to Capernaum. And on the way, he went through a place called Magdala. There's a small synagogue there. Jesus, no doubt, taught there. And encountered a woman who was tormented by seven demons. And um, the whole setting here where they name women in ministry is a stark contrast to the cultural backdrop of this moment where women were basically invisible and property. And, And Jesus inaugurates a good news message whereby women are co-heirs with men in this great salvation, in this gospel. Jesus models equal value in the two genders. So this morning I want to consider evidence of grace received in the life of Mary Magdalene, which means faith that saves. What does it look like? What does it live like? The first is this. Evidence of grace is demonstrated by moving from complete captivity of misery-producing evil to freely enlist in Jesus' rescue mission. Faith that saves is evidenced by love. And we see this everywhere. Jesus traveled about, it says, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And in his travels, he came upon this woman. He came upon, it says, women who were cured, cured of evil spirits and diseases. Break-ins from the kingdom, the age to come, are presented here, where in the age to come, there will be no more demons, there will be no more diseases, and Jesus lifts these women out of these situations and circumstances because of his great love, his great mercy, his great kindness, and this woman, one of them, named Mary. By the way, Mary was a common name. Almost every other woman was named Mary. So she's identified by the place she comes from, Mary Magdalene, that Mary. 
because there are many Marys. Jesus' mother was Mary, different Mary. And Jesus heals her of seven demons. He snatches her out of the clutches of the dark kingdom of the wicked and the evil one and places her into the kingdom of his marvelous light. And, and when it talks about seven demons, we know that the word seven is like a, a word of completeness. Mary was completely dominated by the demonic. She was completely captive to the demonic. Give your mind for a moment the opportunity to think of what, what her life was like before Jesus. Being demonized by the completeness of the demonic. The utter misery of living a self-destructive life. In the kingdom of the, the one who came to kill, steal, and destroy. That, that characterizes her every day. Self-destruction, self-destructive thoughts and behavior, troubled always, dark always, in turmoil, in turmoil always, spiritually abused and likely physically abused always, avoided and alone. And Jesus in a moment, rescues her from all of that and brings her into his kingdom and into ministry. We would have probably wanted some probationary period. He puts her in with his disciples. Seven against one. Seven demons to one Jesus. Do you think that's a fair fight? <laughs> Not in your life. I don't know where you might be this morning. But Jesus healed her to the uttermost. She was completely captive and now completely liberated by Jesus, saved to the uttermost. Saved to a love that won't let go of her liberator, ever. You're going to see Mary chase Jesus around for the rest of his earthly life in a unique way, in a special way. She would not let go of Jesus no matter what. We're going to see that. I want you to notice too that Jesus enlists fully in the contributing of gifts and talents and resources from these women. Evidence of true saving faith is works. Faith that saves not only loves, but faith that saves also works. And you see this. It says that they were helping to support, verse 3, helping to support them out of their own means. They immediately became kingdom expansion investors. Released from demonic captivity and hold, they immediately throw themselves, these women throw themselves into the service of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus places a woman, look at the, look at the eclectic collection here. Jesus places a woman with a demon past alongside an important woman who was the wife of an important uh, politician in the uh, service of King Herod. 
and they do ministry together, side by side, strategically gathered to finance the new temple by their own means. Jesus had said, I will build my church, and ministry costs money. The Bible doesn't shy away from that reality. They were helping support them out of their own means. Jesus doesn't back away from that, try to hide that. Ministry costs money. And these women supplied it. The scripture makes the point that ministry is a not-for-profit venture. It's to profit others. But I also want you to notice that Jesus launched Christianity through the generosity of first-century woman named Mary. Here's what I like about this story. She doesn't concentrate on what wasn't available for her to do. We don't see her spending time lamenting on, why did God allow me to go through all of that in my life? What we see is a woman who immediately launches herself into the act of loving service of the Lord Jesus Christ, doing what she can. Ministry to those who minister. What, what an incredible contribution that is by people. Ministry to those who minister. It's a major need that God blesses, and regularly it's in the background. People who minister to those who minister. You, you know, Jesus has said elsewhere in the scriptures that if you get your praise from men, that's probably your reward in full. So to all of those who labor in the background, supporting ministry, supporting the gospel, su ministering to those who minister, one thing we know for certain is while you might not get praise from men, or women for that matter, you absolutely get praise from the Lord. You absolutely get praise from heaven. Your name is recorded just as it is here. We know the women, Mary, Joanna, Susanna. These are words are immortalized. These names are immortalized because God doesn't forget your acts of service, ever. Many miss the blessings from heaven, vying for positions of power and prestige. <laughs> Wanting to get important, trying to be important. They forfeit the praise from heaven that could have been theirs. I'm grateful for my own mother who taught our family to serve the Lord with all of your heart. Leading the way herself, serving, not calling us to service, but serving, always. Every upfront leader in ministry is a composite of the varied and generous commitment and essential support from other people who pray and give and offer ministry support. Every single ministry upfront leader. And God keeps a list. 
Well, secondly, and the last point that I want to bring out this morning, I need you to turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew. I want to go to the very end of Jesus' ministry. So there's lots we could talk about in between, but, but I just want to look at the front of Jesus' ministry with Mary, and I want to look at the end of his earthly ministry and, and point out some things. I want you to go to Matthew 26 with me and want to look at a couple of verses here, one in particular, and it's verse 56. Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. He's being arrested. And, and it says here, at that time, verse 55 of Matthew 26, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. And here's the verse. Then all disciples deserted him and fled for their lives. Over in Matthew 27, verse 55 and 56, we're now at the crucifixion. It says here in 55, many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the Zebedee's sons. So, when all the disciples called in sick, the women hung in. The Holy Spirit makes a big deal of this. When everyone else calls in sick, Mary stayed at her liberated vocation. Faith that saved is, is evidenced by steadfast loyalty. Mary was there at the cross while our iniquities were being placed on Jesus, while Mary's sins were being placed on Jesus, while your sins were being placed on Jesus, Mary stayed with him. I want to quickly complete with three quick vignettes. The first is at the cross. The original construction of this merit when many women were there is literally this at the cross. Now there were there many women. That's the, that's the original construction of this statement. And the emphasis is on were there. Okay? There were there women. They were there. They stayed. What's the significance of this? Women who stayed at their vocation, their ministry. It says they had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Followed, serving, caring, covering 80 to 100 miles from Galilee to Jerusalem. Stories of the cross that were now from a cultural, culturally unbelievable source, women. Women weren't witnesses. Women weren't counted as witnesses. 
And who does God choose to be the witnesses to the most momentous event in all of history? Women. We, we need to understand that um, Christianity is an eyewitness event. Eyewitnesses are the entire case for Christ. Now there were there women, loyal, regardless of the fact that Christ's life was being poured out, staying. And you say, yeah, but they were at a distance. They were at a distance, I believe, out of respect and regard for the indignity that Jesus was enduring out of great love for him. And someday they will receive from the Lord, well done, faithful servant. Not flashy servant, not flash in the pan servant, but faithful servant. It's highly likely, listen, it's highly likely that the apostles got almost all of their details of the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ from women. Highly likely. Because we also find out that in, verse, in chapter 27, verse 61, that Mary was at the burial. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. By the way, the original construction should read again, now there were there Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. It's narrowed down, hasn't it? Many women observing the crucifixion. And now at the burial, Jesus has died. And now at the burial, two women, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. It says here they were facing the grave, crushed, but they knew where the gravesite was. They knew where the tomb was. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is left to women to report. As I said, eyewitness is the case, the entire case for Christ. People all over the world are dying for lies. But no one will die for a lie that they know is a lie. That's the strength of the eyewitness case for Christ, case for the resurrection of Christ. So let's look at the resurrection as we close. I want you to go to John 20 with me, please. John, as is per his style, gives lots of details. And we've been here, so this isn't unusual for us to understand. I want you to notice in John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. We've gone from many women at the cross, two women at the burial, one woman at the tomb. 
Now, I know as you read all of the gospel synoptic accounts and all of that, there's a multitude of women, there's all kinds of things going on at the tomb, and there are. But John wants to make one thing abundantly clear. However you're going to organize all of this, other Marys and the disciples and all of this, John makes this abundantly clear under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Mary alone was first. She went and got the disciples. She went and got other Marys. Mary was first. And the emphasis is on that here. We have an empty tomb. She thinks the body has been stolen. But we find out that in verse 6, that when Simon, by the time Simon Peter gets there, he looks in and he notices that the strips of linen are lying there as well as a burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head, and the cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. It, w it was all undisturbed. It was as if... Keep in mind, the, the body was wrapped. There was a turban put on the head. There was probably around 100 pounds worth of spices on the cloth, and they had to go in haste because it was... The Sabbath was approaching, so they really just left Jesus on the, 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 uh, the burial table, the, the, the prep table, planning to come back and deal with it. And it's as if the body just simply immaterialized out of the clothing. There was no explosion of spices around the tomb as if it would be disturbed and all of that. The, the turban itself was just laid there nicely, as if the body had just come out of it, and the hundred pound of spices just sunk it onto the table. That's what the witness saw. One liberated woman, liberated from a living hell, is there. And we're left to ask the question, where are all the other people who benefited from Jesus? It says, then the disciples went back, verse 10, to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Remember what I said at the beginning? Those released from much can't stop clinging to their liberator. She couldn't leave Jesus. She stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Now, John never records details for no reason at all. What did she, what did she see here? John unpacks for us what others had no doubt heard but had not really understood. John has the benefit of decades to think about this scene, this formation of angels, if you will. What did the Lord privilege Mary to see? One angel at the head, one angel at the foot. 
in between the cloths that wrapped Jesus' body, no doubt soaked in his blood. Now, for those of you who have any Old Testament theology background at all, you will know that the Ark of the Covenant is so positioned that it has two cherubim, two angels, one at the one end and one at the other end. And in between, on the Day of Atonement, is where the blood, the sacrifice, was sprinkled. And in between is the mercy seat, the seat of Yahweh. This picture that Mary was presented was the picture, the final formation of the redemption of mankind through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And the Ark of the Covenant was displayed. The greatest offering, the now heavenly bridegroom of the new covenant bride, permanent atonement has been paid for Mary's salvation, for Mary's permanent relationship. The holiest of altar, the kaparef, the seat of atonement, is pictured for her. Images and echoes of the Old Testament are constantly pushed through to the new covenant. Mary walks out into the garden and thinks she's talking to the gardener. And where was it that our lives were crushed? It was in the Garden of Eden. Where is it that Mary's hopes and dreams and faith is rekindled? It's in a garden. As she meets the risen Christ, and the risen Christ calls her name, Mary. And she knows who he is. And Mary is the first convert to a living Christ in all of humanity. And the woman who first shared the good news. And from that point forward, the tomb is just a discarded cave. <laughs> That's all it is because Jesus is risen. And only Jesus matters now to the first evangelist named Mary. So, Dear women of Calvary and those listening online, I have portrayed Mary today as a woman of faith that didn't flicker. She held on to him all the way and was rewarded with the honor of being the first to witness the risen Christ and the first to deliver the gospel of Jesus Christ, the evangelist. Faith that doesn't flicker it's faith that saves, and it's evidenced by a new mission in Christ to love him with all of your heart. It's evidenced by robust service to Christ to serve him with all of your heart, and it's evidenced by steadfast, indomitable, fearless loyalty toward Christ. I have met many such women as Mary through the years, these years of ministry. 
So I'm very grateful to God for all of those who have been rich supporters in partnership in ministry. And I simply want to say this morning again, as we look at what Christ has done and can do and will do, that put your faith in him, put your hope in him, and love him. He is truly worthy. And to all of you who have ministered to the ministers, blessings, blessings on this day that we recognize the great value of women in our ministry partnership together until the Lord Jesus Christ comes to get us that we might all be with himself. Father, we thank you so much. We praise you. We love you. We have been so richly graced by the Lord Jesus Christ. We love the fact that you love us, O oh God. And we love the fact that you love all of us. Men, women, boys, girls. Equal value in your sight. Co-heirs in this gospel message and this gospel salvation. forever partners in ministry together in serving the Lord. So we want to pay tribute to the King of Kings because he is the one who has rescued us from the clutches of darkness and placed us into his kingdom of marvelous light that we might be free, free to love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I entitled the sermon, Faith That Never Flickers. And I thought that was right. But between Thursday, where the sermon was completed, and Saturday night, where I really complete the sermon, I, I got thinking more about Mary and the realities of her life and trying to think like she might have been thinking. She had a horrible life, just a rotten life. And this man came along and rescued her into unimaginable joy. And for three years, she never left him. And then she got to witness a most horrible event. I think it's possible her faith might have flickered. She saw him die. She saw him buried, and I think maybe her hope collapsed. I got thinking about all the women who might listen to this who are in whatever stage of joy or horror where maybe your faith is flickering and maybe your hope is dying. Elizabeth Elliot writes these wise words about the Lord. He makes us wait. He keeps us on purpose in the dark. He makes us walk when we want to run and sit still when we want to walk. 
for he has things to do in our souls that we are not interested in. There's one thing that never flickered in Mary's life, her love for Jesus. Her faith might have flickered, her hope might have flickered, but her love never flickered. When you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, sometimes your faith gets shaken and sometimes your hope gets put on hold. But your love for the one who loves you never does. And she said to the gardener, who she thought was the gardener, it was Christ. She said, where's his body? I'll just go and get it and I'll carry it. What was she thinking? How was she going to carry a man's body with a hundred pounds of spice on it? But that's love. She was going to muster up the strength for that one she loved and carry him to a place of respect and reverence. So ladies, your faith might be flickering. Your hope might be in, in, in critical care. But don't let your love go for the Lord Jesus Christ. We love him because he first loved us. And we never let go of that love. And he'll never let go of us. Our Father, we thank you for your truth. We love you. We pray, oh Lord, for that woman whose heart is broken. You love her. May she love you. For Jesus' sake, amen.